Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rowan and the Wasteland, where we discuss a film and honor its place amongst its peers. I am the titular Rowan, and joining me, as always, he is the wound in the blade of both the torturer and he who is flayed. It's Shane Kanto, ladies and gentlemen. I am Enigma. <laughs> I'm the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> uh, what movie did we watch for today's episode, Shane? Today, we watched Funeral Parade of Roses, which is a interesting adaptation of the Oedipus Rex story set in Japan and centered around a trans woman. And I really wonder if the creator of Old Boy watched this movie. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, this was a really, really interesting movie. Not only because it is like it was incredibly subversive for the time and it's a really interesting time capsule, but it also is filmed in a way that acts as sort of a documentary style. Like sometimes the actors who are playing the characters are interviewed and it, it like at, mm -hmm. and and they they sort of drop character, which is something that you know, like you would never see in a like a very traditional film. And so this is definitely like this is definitely like an 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 art film, very experimental, very weird, very underground, but really like landmark for the time. And I do think it's interesting that that no one talks about this because it preceded Paris is Burning, which I think is like the biggest, you know, like a queer. Mm -hmm. uh, film in the in the 20th century it preceded that by like over 20 years um which i think is really really interesting and yet no one really talks about this one um of course the 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 titular trans woman uh not not titular but the 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 protagonist the trans woman who is the protagonist is not played by an actual transgender woman because it is 1969 yeah. um but uh, she is played by uh, an actor named Peter, who is like who like historically was like very flippant about uh, like about gender and everything and mm -hmm. and was not, um, you know, didn't uh, like apparently did not really like being tied down by the gender binary, which, again, ahead of its time, inc like incredible that I had not heard of this movie before before Shane brought it up to be on the show. Um but uh, yeah, yeah. So times have definitely changed. Uh, but I hope that this movie like has some sort of a resurgence because I think it is important to see, even if it is like a very strange and questionable adaptation of Oedipus that I did not realize was an adaptation of Oedipus until midway through. And then it really hammers it on the head at the very end. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, this is like some strange like psychosexual fever dream mm -hmm. uh, that is ahead of its time, but still dated, but in some really interesting ways. It, it's interesting because I saw some review somewhere. I was looking at talking about how this might've been an influence on Kubrick's adaptation of a clockwork orange mm -hmm. in terms of how it's like presented and everything. And there is indeed one, one brawl between rival gangs of trans women and cisgender women that I'm just like, well, that was interesting. Yeah. That just comes out of nowhere at one point in the film. But like, it is, it's such an interesting and unique kind of watch of balancing between this pseudo documentarian style of telling a story. And then also, you know, a very obvious narrative reimagining of Oedipus and like the closing scenes of this film are grotesque, 
bloody and unnerving. Right. Which it's interesting because I know when we were talking about this, uh, when we were talking about what we we're going to do next on IMDb, like the first couple epi- uh, images are just these like bloody, like horror looking things, and you're just like it says drama, and I'm like, <laughs> uh, what? And then you realize as you're watching this film what this is actually getting at and you're just like oh no and this does turn like it's violent it's shocking and really disturbing and balancing that with this very intimate look at a very specific community in a decade like the late 60s is a very interesting time because one it's especially in America in terms of like turning that page from the on the surface idyllic times of like the fifties into the early sixties and this very rebellious time of lashing out against norms. And I feel like this film, even though it's not an American film and I'm not too familiar with what Japanese culture was like at the time, but like, it feels like it, perfectly fits into 1969 and kind of like bashing against all expectations of what you would see in film and it really fits in that context but i think Peter gives a very very committed performance and a performance it's hard to not want to like sit and watch throughout the whole entire film mm-hmm. and just uh Warning, this certainly gets interesting uh, towards the end of the film. And it deals with a lot of things from, like, obviously what trans people deal with in terms of prejudice. And this is, like, the 60s. Mm-hmm. And look how bad it is today. So just just imagine um, decades ago. And also a lot of trauma. And there's some flashback sequences that are pretty shocking in terms of, like, how this character what they've been through in terms of their life and where this ends kind of leaves you at a place where you're just like, wow, um, need to play with like cats or something. Cause this is definitely right. a, quite a downer ending. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, especially seeing how much has changed um, because both this and Paris is burning, which I will talk about a little bit more in a bit. One of mm-hmm. our lists, spoiler alert. Um, are both about like the underground scene in a particular city. Paris is Burning is 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 more of a straight documentary, but Paris is Burning and uh, uh, Funeral Parade of Roses both highlight Shane what you were talking about, which is like the mm-hmm. the difficulties of of being a trans person and fitting in with the group that you want to fit in with. Um, in terms of uh, it like. In, in, in terms of the life you want. Uh, and Paris is Burning is about sort of like finding your people. And this movie is a little bit more, I, I, I would say somehow even more nihilistic about mm-hmm. uh, the life of, of LGBT people, um, which is interesting uh, because I feel like now in, in the, the 21st century, we are in a time where like it's it's even more divided in that um you know the people who are who are anti-lgbt are like a lot of them are just incredibly so 
but mm-hmm. there is also just such an intense amount of pride that I, I I feel like in like it is able to overpower it like within the community, and I think that, that that's amazing. Um, and so again, this movie uh, movie uh, movie Funeral Parade of Roses acts as like a really really interesting time capsule of the attitude, like especially like at least in Japan, um, from the transgender community or transgender adjacent community about uh like how they were feeling about their place in the world at that point and to see how that's changed over the years i think is uh just absolutely fascinating and like one last thing just just popped in my head because mm-hmm. like i feel like this tropes in a lot of things at this point but like that perception of like middle-aged men uh mm-hmm. and their relationships with queer people because you see that kind of thing popping up in a lot of stories of like even like euphoria of it's like you know these uptight middle-aged men getting involved behind closed doors with uh queer people and obviously this one takes a much more interesting twist than a lot of those stories um and ends horrifically but i do think it's very interesting like even this kind of story being told because you do see that popping up in a lot of um stories like this and you know, there there's definitely plot threads like that that popped up in Pose, uh, and a lot of stories like that. I just thought that was interesting. Except, you know, this takes it to a whole other level totally. without spoiling anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh Shane, where does this movie rank in the now 78 films that we have watched for Rowan in the Wasteland? Thought those very interesting, and I'm glad that I picked it and read it in a book somewhere that I should watch it. Um, it's my number 39. It's between Columbus and the projectionist. Nice. Uh, for me, it is number 46 and that is above the battle of Algiers and below the best years of our lives. So sort of in the middle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in near the middle for both of us. Uh, we of course have three categories to talk about today. As we always do, we have LGBTQ plus stories. We have classic Japanese films. Those were released pre 1990. Uh, and we have the year 1969 in which uh, Funeral Parade of Roses was released. Let's start with uh, LGBTQ stories. Uh, Shane, your top five. So my number five, I thought this was very fitting to put on here because especially like this film is very much of its time. And so is this one. But what it did at the time is the birdcage. Mm-hmm. I thought that I that movie's so hilarious. Are there things in it that you probably wouldn't do in 2023 making <laughs> a film like this today? Yes. But still great. I think you'll appreciate this because this has a lot of interesting threads of LGBTQ plus stories is everything everywhere all mm-hmm. at once. Mm-hmm. Which this movie literally has everything. So of course it would have uh storylines involving this as well. Number three is Rocket Man. I love Rocket Man. And the fact that people talk about uh Bohemian Rhapsody more than this movie really disappoints me. Uh, my number two is the favorite, because I love Yorgos Lanthimos and his quite disturbing and strange look on life. But boy, is this this is a film with three incredible performances at the center. And my number one's The Handmaiden. This is one of those movies that I remember seeing being and being like this movie's going to stay with me forever. And I low-key absolutely love this movie from, I think it came out in 2016. Uh, I'm not going to mention much about the plot because there's so many twists and turns in it, but it's definitely something worth checking out. Yeah, uh, that movie is absolutely 
um, best left unspoiled in every way. Um, Mine are uh, number five is Dog Day Afternoon. Even so, I love Rocket Man, and Rocket Man was almost on this list, but I wanted to spotlight some uh, some other ones. So Rocket yep. Man would be near near the top, but like because it is one of my favorite movies ever. Love Elton John. Uh, but my number five is uh, Dog Day Afternoon, which a lot of people don't remember as being a queer movie, yes. but the whole motivation of the bank robbers is so that. Um, that Al Pacino's character's partner can get a a legal sex change, um, which I think is uh, is really really interesting. Uh, number four is The Handmaiden. Uh, number three is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Number two is Moonlight, uh, which you know of course won Best Picture uh, uh, infamously um, a few years ago. Um, Awkward. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> and is just I only watched this like relatively recently, and I cannot believe it took me that long because this movie is just so remarkable. Um, and number one is Paris is Burning, which I've mentioned uh, so far on this episode, even um, which is I think one of the greatest, one of the best documentaries or the best documentary I've ever seen, and also just a just really important to understanding uh, uh, queer. Uh, films, queer cinema, and the the um, and just queer people and that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I watched this over the summer, and it's one that I recommend for everyone. Uh, but that is my list. Moving on to classic Japanese films that re- were released before 1990. Uh, it was hard not to not to overload this with Kurosawa. <laughs> I um, specifically did not pick ones that i have already talked about before that is there's still plenty to talk about yeah uh shane your top five my number five is house what a crazy movie this is (laughs) so worth a watch and you've probably seen the poster because i recall this obnoxiously orange criterion collection dvd for years before (laughs) i saw it um number four is throne of blood such a fantastic Macbeth adaptation uh, from Kurosawa. Number three is Godzilla. Uh, long before they became cheesy giant monster movies, there's a lot more to this original film than just being a big cheesy monster movie. Number yeah. two is High and Low, which I feel like if you were to ask somebody who really loves Kurosawa, what's one that doesn't get enough love and it's such a great film, it's probably High and Low. And number one, because this is still in my top three of the films we talked about on the show, is Harakiri. And you should go check out that episode. Absolutely. Um, we do share some in our list. My number five is Woman in the Dunes, uh, which is a, a, a very bizarre uh, story about, a, uh, about an entomologist who... Wait, etymologist? Entomologist is words, right? I think etymologist... Is etymologist words? Which one's word and wor- words and which one's bugs? I can never remember. Um, but it's the one who studies bugs. Uh, he uh, gets kidnapped by the residents of this like seaside uh, town uh, who live in um, who live in like uh, uh, like little ditches in the sand. Um, and he's basically subjected to like weird psychological torture while he resides there. Shane, do you have an answer? Entomologists look at bugs. Entomologists Insert. look at bugs. Okay, yes. great. Thank you. Thank you for checking that. Uh, number four is Rashomon, uh, which is the 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 classic Kurosawa uh, film. That was actually uh, the first one by him that I saw. Number three is Harakiri, which we've talked about on the show long ago. It feels like mm-hmm. uh, number two is is the Human Condition uh, trilogy, which is oh. often looped into one film. Um, 
I had this on Criterion for about a year until I actually watched it. Um, and it is, it like, it took several days to get through. Uh, it is like these three movies are harrowing, but they are incredible and they are so well made and like just absolutely riveting cinema, despite being, despite uh, the shortest one being three hours long. Um, so strong, strong recommend for that one. And my number one is Throne of Blood. I absolutely love this movie. It is my favorite Shakespeare adaptation. Um, and it is just, just so absolutely, it understands the material in ways that other Shakespeare adaptations don't. And it does a, like, it, it does, it twists it sufficiently to make it stand out, uh, yeah. among the rest. Um, and, uh, plus the visuals, like, it just looks so good. Rain of arrows. Yeah. Like, how did he not actually get shot by <laughs> arrows? Because they're definitely not fake. Yeah. That whole entire scene, that scene is stressful. Because I'm like, this guy's actually going to get shot. Totally. Like, uh, making yeah. films back like before we cared about safety. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, our final category today is the year 1969. Uh, Shane, your top five. Such an interesting year in movies. My number five is Easy Rider. I do not love this as much as I think a lot of people in terms of how much of a classic it is. But, like, it's such an interesting look at culture at the time, mm-hmm. even if it's not, like, a really honed-in uh, kind of film. My number four is Midnight Cowboy, which... For being the only film to win Best Picture with a X rating, still relatively tame, which is so interesting watching yeah. today. Yeah. But I love John Voight and Dustin Hoffman. It. My number three is I. What I think is one of the most underappreciated Bond films is On Her Majesty's Secret Service, mm-hmm. only because it didn't have Sean Connery in it. People kind of look over it, but this is heavily influenced by French New Wave filmmaking. And Telly Savalas is such a great Blofeld in this. Uh, my number two is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Definitely one of the more unique westerns you're going to find. And any movie you put Paul Newman and Robert Redford in, there's just so much charisma there. And number one's The Wild Bunch. This is such a violent, brutal western. I love William Holden, Ernest Borgnine, such a great cast. And this is an intense film. And it's a thrill ride from start to finish. Very nice. Uh, I have a few shorts on my list. My number five is uh, a short called Bambi Meets Godzilla, uh, which is so hysterical because it is exactly what you expect. But it does. So this is a three minute short with two and a half minutes of of like opening credits, which is, I think, the funniest part of it. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It's a really fun watch. Number four is 79 Springs, which is a short documentary about Ho Chi Minh, uh, which was um, created uh, on the anniversary of its death, um, which is uh, sort of like Funeral Parade of Roses, which is my number three, uh, is a really good uh, time capsule. Number two is uh, The Lottery, which is, I think, the the quintessential uh, adaptation of Shirley Jackson's short story. Uh, I watched this in school. And number one is Midnight Cowboy. Um, really really interesting talk about time capsules like every single movie on this list i think is really interesting um uh and 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 says something about the year that it was released midnight cowboy especially like you said shane like it, it's it's the first and only movie to win best picture that had an x rating and i i think that's purely because um 
they hadn't really figured out the rating system yet. So anything with just a smidge more sexual content, aside from like a few references and some topless women, like just got slapped with this like dreaded X. And now, mm. of course, like, you know, it's been revised and it's now rated R. But yeah. For the time, I think it's really interesting how like scandalous it should be, but how really tame it is, especially by our modern uh, our, our our modern standards. Um, but anyway, those are uh, those are our lists and our discussion of uh, funeral parade of roses. Thank you all for listening. We really really appreciate it. Shane, where would you like to send people if they want to hear more from you? Head over to the Wasteland Review or Instagram page where I shamelessly plug all the podcasts that I do from this, the Wasteland Vintage Roadshow and the Cinematic Wasteland, all the writing I do for Sif Pop and GuyAtTheMovies.com, all the podcasts I do for Scribe Magazine, and most importantly, the Wasteland Reviewer YouTube channel where I review basically anything, and I have my three weekly shows, and Rowan here is certainly a frequent collaborator on. You can find me at thelenientcritic.com or at Rowanaboat on Instagram and Letterboxd or at Bits of Joel on Twitter. Or you can check out any of my other podcasts I do called Franchise Paradiso, Runtime Babe, and as Shane mentioned, I pop up on his shows pretty frequently. Uh, but thank you all for listening. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about the Kane Mutiny Court Martial, which is William Friedkin's last movie. Um that is that was released this year on uh, Showtime and Paramount Plus. Um, so be sure to tune in for that. We'll be talking about the year in movies so far. Um, so thank you guys once again for joining us, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Rowan and the Wasteland. Mm-hmm.